All right, as you know, we're in Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 21 to 43. Um, if you've been following along with us the last few weeks, we've been working our way through Mark, and this is a great story. So last week we saw that Jesus cleansed a demoniac by exercising some 5,000 demons out of him. And we saw that the man was a hopeless cause. He was a wreck. He was violent and he was unclean and he was unsafe and he was unsavable according to human standards. And uh, yet Jesus brought cleansing and healing and sanity to the life of this man who lived in the tombs. And today we're going to find that Jesus, he's interacting with two more individuals who were unclean, a woman with a chronic hemorrhage and the corpse of a young girl. In both cases, all hope was lost, and all circumstances pointed to the inevitable, pain, suffering, grief, and sorrow. But we will see that Jesus brings cleansing and healing and life to the most hopeless of situations. So we're going to pick up the story again in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And we'll be kind of going through this as we go through today. So 21, and when Jesus had crossed again on the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. So Jesus left the Gentile region on the eastern shore where we had him last week in the story. Uh, he was on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He and his disciples now arrive on the western shore, the Jewish shore. And, and Mark doesn't tell us exactly where they land or what town they're near, but because Mark names Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, perhaps it was Peter's town or the source, you know, or the place where Peter uh, spent fishing or whatever. We don't know. It's speculation. But they landed in this town on the, on the western shore. And what we do know is that Jesus and his disciples are greeted by another very large crowd right on the sea just as they arrive. It's getting increasingly more and more stressful for Jesus and the band of disciples. The crowds are getting larger. The volume is getting louder. The stakes seem to be getting higher. And with whom do you talk? Where, who do you heal next? And where do you go? Those questions, I'm sure, were there. Who's priority? And now there are two stories in this passage, this, this passage today. And I, I told you that when Mark uh, uses this sandwich technique, so to speak, that I would, I would tell you where it is. Well, it shows up in today's story. It's an, this is an example of it. One story inside of another. Okay, so there's, the story starts, then there's another story, and it's unrelated seemingly, and then he carries on with the story at the end. But the middle story is typically the story that sheds light on the broader one. Okay, gives us, helps us know what the meaning, and it gives us clues for interpreting the broader story. In our stories today, there are three main actors. There's Jesus, of course, there's Jairus and an unnamed woman. And we're going to spend a few moments here comparing and contrasting the man and the woman first. All right, so character number one, a man, a ruler of a synagogue. And a synagogue is a place where Jews would meet weekly for worship and for fellowship. Uh, being a ruler of a synagogue meant that he was responsible for the order of worship, for the songs, for the scripture reading, who would speak. He was responsible for the upkeep of the synagogue and the security of it. And he is... He is named. His name is Jairus. He is wealthy. He is ceremonial, ceremonially clean. He approaches Jesus face to face. He fell at Jesus' feet. He begged Jesus in front of everyone to come and lay his hands on his daughter. And according to Luke's account, this was his only daughter, and she was about 12 years old. Now there's character number two. A woman. No title, no influence. She's unnamed. She's poor. She's ceremonially unclean. She's outcast. 
She's been sick for 12 years. She did not beg, but she quietly and inconspicuously approached Jesus from behind, and she put her, putting her faith in Jesus, she simply touched his garment and tried to disappear into the crowd. And after Jesus inquires as to who touched him, she came and fell before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And Luke's account says that she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus calls her daughter. So keep those details in mind as we go through the story. And I told you before, Mark is a master craftsman with words. His writing is exciting. It's, every detail is filled with meaning, and every detail points us to Jesus and our need for him. So here we go. So point number one today is the synagogue ruler, verses five, five, chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. We'll pick up in verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So the synagogue ruler saw Jesus. So Jairus is standing there on the seashore. He saw the boats coming in the distance. It seemed to take a long time for them to arrive, I can imagine. Time was of the essence right now. It seemed that those boats probably crawled across the water. And he was pacing back and forth, I can imagine, lonely and worried. He's frustrated and sad. He's already missing his daughter. He's afraid for her life. He loves her so much. And she's deathly sick. And she's been sick for a while. And she's only moments away from passing away. And Jairus does not know what else to do. So he's on the seashore waiting for Jesus to come. And finally Jesus arrives on the shore. And no sooner does he put his feet in the water on the sandy bottom. And, and, and Jairus rushes forward. And he doesn't care about his position right now or acting in a dignified manner. He simply falls at Jesus' feet. He knows that Jesus has cast out lepers, cast out demons. He has healed diseases. And now he's taking a leap of faith to ask Jesus if he would heal his dying daughter. And look at the word that Mark uses here. He says he saw Jesus and he acted upon his faith by asking Jesus to come to his house and heal his daughter. Remember back in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 and, or 11 and 12, it says, To you has been given, Jesus is telling his disciples this thing, he says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, there's that word, see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jairus may have been one of those insiders, for he saw and he perceived, he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. He put his mustard seed-sized faith in Jesus' power to save his daughter. So he comes to Jesus in faith. He approaches Jesus face to face. He kneels at Jesus' feet. He asks him to come to his home with him. And he begs Jesus to come and lay his hands on his daughter. Jairus knows that Jesus doesn't need to say an incantation and that he doesn't have this ritual he goes through. He just wants him to come and lay his hands on his daughter. He is believing that Jesus' presence and Jesus' touch is all that she needs to be healed and whole again. He acts upon this belief by summoning Jesus to his daughter's bedside. And Jesus, he knows the urgency of the situation, so he does not delay. He begins walking with Jairus off of the beach onto the dirt path into the village. And then we interrupt this story for another incredible story of Jesus. So we look at now, number two, the unclean outcast, verse 25 
to 34. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to, whom, to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So the Jairus saw Jesus and he perceived, and we see the unclean outcast heard about Jesus. Heard about Jesus. See that little word in there? The woman was enmeshed in a discouraging situation. She, to, said, to, to shed some light on her predicament, there we go, we are turning to Leviticus 15.25. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it out for you. I've printed out here. But Leviticus chapter 15 is laws of purity and, and all that that the Jews live by, okay? Here's what it says. It's a little bit graphic, so just bear with me. But Leviticus 15.25 and following. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. Whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until evening. You know, Social distancing is not a new thing. It was called something different back then, the laws of impurity, but it was alive and it was well. The problem is her social distancing went on for 12 long years. And she was the only one being distanced. Can you imagine not being hugged for 12 years because you would, the person that hugged you would be considered unclean? And if someone did hug you, they were considered unclean until the evening. And the suspicion of others, they wouldn't want to touch you in case they contracted whatever disease you had. So they stayed their distance. And she most likely lived alone, greeted with suspicion from afar, even from her parents and her family. She was not allowed into the synagogue, the place of worship, because she was unclean and would contaminate anything or anyone that came in contact with her. She had no father running to Jesus as her advocate. She had no daddy who would fall at Jesus' feet and beg him to come and heal her. She was in a sad state. And she was the victim of terrible circumstances. Like all of us, she was a victim of living in a fallen world. As in most cases in life, it's not clear as to why she had to suffer for so long. Life is full of unknowns. When I read this story, I see her plight as consequences of living in a fallen world with sin and suffering and death, where things are not as they should be, not as they were created to be, 
All nature groans under the weight of the curse of sin. And listen to how Mark describes her deplorable and shameful state. She had a discharge or a flow of blood for 12 years. That drains your energy. She had no energy left. She had suffered much under doctors. I don't know what that means, but that's a scary word, to suffer much under doctors. She spent all that she had. She had nothing left. She was poor. She spent all that she had, and she had not gotten better. Nothing helped. In fact, she had grown worse. It just kept spiraling down for her. And in verse 29, Mark calls this disease, this, this, this thing a disease, and, and the Greek word is mastix. It's a graphic word meaning a, a, like a whipping, a scourging, or, or a plague. And it's used twice here. Jesus says, go in peace and be healed of your disease, your mastix. And in one other time in Mark chapter 3, verse 10, where everyone with a mastix pressed around Jesus in order to, to be healed. The woman was in a terribly frightening predicament, scourged by a plague. It was a hopeless place. No relief, no energy, no one to help, no money, no answers, no future. And she is shamed, considered unclean, outcast, forgotten, shunned, unconnected, and with no family, and of no fault of her own. She is physically sick. She is diseased and bloody. She is emotionally sick. She is discouraged and hopeless. She is relationally sick. She is cut off from family and friends. She is spiritually sick. She is cut off from God and her place of worship. It doesn't get any worse than that. And it says that she came and touched his garments. There's a, there's a play here on fear and faith. There's fear. The woman did, did not approach Jesus from the front, but instead she came up behind him. She's not named, and she did not beg him to heal her. She did not talk to him at all until the end of this situation. She could not invite Jesus to her house. Everything that she had, her bed, her tables, her chairs, her door, her doorknobs, her plates and cups, her pots and pans, her clothes and sandals, the money she used, the food that she handled, everything was considered unclean and contaminated. He would never come to her house, not in a million years. And she did not want anyone to know that she touched Jesus. She did not want her uncleanness to be transferred to the teacher because it would taint him. She did not want to be yelled at and scolded for doing what was improper and unlawful. She tried to remain unnoticed and slip away in the crowds. But she also had faith. She saw an opportunity, a large crowd where everyone's attention is on something else instead of her. If she's if she covered her face and her, her head, that maybe she could make it through the crowd undetected. If I just touch his garment, I will be healed. But if I don't, then, then, then he and everyone else will not even know that I was there. They'll never know that I, I made him unclean. I can just, I can just go off and I'll, I'll take my chances with this. At times, desperation will lead us to do things that are not normal not acceptable, and not lawful. Unless they themselves have been in a desperate situation, people tend to judge pretty harshly. At times, faith will lead us to do things that are not normal, not acceptable, and not lawful. She believed Jesus could heal her. She believed it so much that she broke protocol. 
She broke the purity laws. She took her chances on being judged and found out and punished. To her, it was worth the risk. And the woman allowed her fear to lead her to faith in Jesus. Remember the disciples in the boat? They were afraid of Jesus even more than the storm. We were left with the question as to whether they would cower in fear of Jesus or let their fear uh, drive them to faith in him. In the story of the demoniac, the fear of the townspeople crippled them from seeing the goodness of Jesus. And they chose to live in fear rather than in faith and they sent Jesus out of their district. They sent him away. And Jairus is fearful for his daughter's life. His fear drove him to put his faith in the healing power of Jesus and invite him into his home. And this woman is tired of living under the physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual pain of this torturous disease. And she was rightfully afraid that things would never get better. And her fear drove her to put her faith in the healing power of Jesus. And so she, she touched his garment. She broke the law. She did what was forbidden. She snuck up through the crowd, reached out her hand, and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of this mastix, this disease, this plague. I'm sure she smiled to herself. She felt immediate relief, immediate strength, immediate confidence, immediate health. Immediately her future changed. She had hope. She had hope all in a moment. She tried to hurry off so as not to cause a scene. But Jesus, as soon as he felt power go out of him, he immediately turned around and asked, who touched me? Who touched me? Listen to Luke chapter 8, verse 44. He's got a, very, a little bit different slant on it here. Luke chapter 8, same, same story, verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Peter said, Master, the crowds are all around you. They're pressing in on you. Are, are you kidding me? Like, how could you? Everyone's touching you right now. Can you imagine being that lady trying to slip away, trying to be, get away unnoticed, and then the fear that comes over you as he asks this question? You know what I'm talking about. The fear that grips your body, like every muscle tenses, your eyes narrow, your heart beats faster, your stomach drops down to your knees, and your hearing grows acute, and you're looking for whatever way to get out of the situation. You've been there. And the woman saw that she was not hidden. She couldn't stay hidden. She couldn't stay unnoticed. And she came in trembling and fear and fell down before him. She knew what was in store. And now she's face to face with Jesus. And she discloses the whole truth. She unveils her shame of being unclean. She reveals her helpless and impoverished state. She admits her guilt of unlawfully touching his garment. She lets it all out. And I can imagine it felt really good to not only be healed, but to finally 
tell someone how frustrated and lonely and hopeless and tired and discouraged you had been for 12 long, agonizing years. Can you imagine being in that spot? And Jesus listened. He didn't scold her. He didn't back away from her. He didn't give her six feet. He didn't shun her. He didn't get all worked up. He wasn't concerned with the uncleanness. He wasn't worried about his reputation. He was unaffected by the loss of the power that went out of him. He was full of compassion and full of love. He saw her in her helpless state. He wasn't distracted by the crowds or even his first assignment. He stopped everything and listened to this unnamed, unworthy, trembling, blubbering, emotional mess in front of him. And with his full attention on her, singled out out of this huge crowd. It said the crowd was enormous. He looked her in the eyes and he called her daughter. He knew exactly what she needed to hear. He welcomed her. He gave her a position. He gave her a name. Daughter of Jesus. Daughter of the Most High God, which we just saw last time. Beloved and part of a family. She didn't have a daddy to advocate for her, but Jesus was her advocate. He was the one who loved her unconditionally and welcomed her. And he said, your faith has made you well. I like the King James Version better here. I usually don't say that, but I like the King James better, Version better here. It captures the meaning better. It says, your faith has made you whole. And Jesus said, daughter, she was healed relationally by her faith in Jesus. She was called daughter, and she could reunite with her family and friends. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. She was healed spiritually by her faith in Jesus. She had repented and believed in Jesus, resulting in cleansing, and she would now be allowed back in the synagogue. Jesus said, be healed of your disease. She was healed physically by her faith in Jesus. No more pain and no more blood. And Jesus said, go in peace. She was healed emotionally by her faith in Jesus. She was encouraged and filled with hope. She was a different person after this encounter. The work of Jesus in the lives of those he touches is all-encompassing. He brought wholeness to her life. He brought reconciliation and forgiveness and peace and joy to this blubbering mess in front of him. He did it for the leper. He did it for the paralytic. He did it for the demoniac. And he did it for this woman. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, their life is never the same again. It's an amazing, and as dramatic as that story is, the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. So now we get to the, the end of the story, the traveling teacher, point number three. Verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house where, of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the, the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in 
where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. The traveling teacher heard and saw. If you look through here, he heard and he saw. Your daughter is dead. He heard this saying, your daughter's dead. So while Jesus is speaking to this woman, the family members of Jairus come from his house to say that his daughter has passed away. They suggest not troubling the teacher any longer. To them, death was final. It was too late. The moment had passed. They had missed the opportunity. I wonder if Jairus was upset with the woman. The interruption may have caused the death of his daughter. If Jesus had been able to get to his house on time, then he could have healed her, and then, then he could have healed this no-name lady. Why did she have to bust in and break this up? I, I don't know. We don't know. I might have been thinking that if I was him. But Jesus heard what they said, and he paid no attention to it. The word overhear, used here in the ESV, actually means to not hear or to ignore. So Jesus ignores their statement, and instead he says, do not fear, only believe. For Jesus, the situation hadn't changed. Whether she was alive or dead, he decided that he was going to heal her, and nothing would keep him from fulfilling what he said he would do. Nothing, not even death. Jesus was saying to this man, don't be driven by fear. Don't look at the situation around you and determine that the situation is hopeless. Don't be discouraged thinking that nothing can be done, that suffering and death is your only fate. Believe. Believe that Jesus can and will make it right. Believe that Jesus' presence is sufficient for healing and wholeness and resurrection. Believe in the resurrecting power of Jesus. I wonder if Jesus didn't look at Jairus, point to the woman who had been made whole and say, do not fear, only believe. In essence, look at what just happened because of her belief. And Jesus turns and heads to the man's house and he arrives and he finds the people wailing and, and weeping. And Jesus heard what they said. Jesus saw the commotion of the people weeping and wailing. So he, he saw and he perceived. Jesus heard and he understood. Jesus saw the immediate and he understood how God was in the process of building his kingdom through these terrible circumstances. He was not dismayed by the crowds. He did not get discouraged by their bleak outlook and their fear-mongering. He looked at the situation and he spoke truth. He entered the house and he said, the child is not dead, only sleeping. They laughed at him. Their unbelief, though, did not hinder his work. He asked Jairus to believe. In the face of all the mockers and laughers and scorners, Jairus was asked to believe and not to fear. The faith of a mustard seed. It may be small, but it needs to be there. Just a little bit of faith. So he went in and he took her by the hand. Now this is the second time since arriving on this shore that Jesus touched someone who was unclean or came in contact with someone who was unclean. According to the laws of purity, touching a corpse would mean that Jesus would be clean or unclean yet again. And yet Jesus disregards purity laws for the sake of compassion. It says he took her by the hand. The tender touch of Jesus, unafraid and unconcerned, 
compassionate and loving, he lifted up this little child. He said, Talitha kumi, little girl, arise. In tenderness, Jesus touches the corpse and speaks a gentle command. And the girl was resurrected from the dead. Don't fear, just believe. Jesus had time for rulers and unnamed outcast people, demoniacs and disciples and also little children. And Jesus touched her dead body. And yet Jesus did not become unclean. He did not become contaminated. As with the woman, he made the unclean clean. As with the man in the tombs, he brought life into what was dead. Jesus had disregarded the purity laws for the sake of compassion and the sake of their lives. So in Mark's gospel, we're going to see over and over again that it's not the religious or the pious or the clean or the do-everything-by-the-book people who are the models of faith. It's the unclean, the unessential, the outcast, the poor, the desperate who serve as the examples of how to approach Jesus in faith. In this story, the unclean woman is the model of faith for us and for Jairus. This is what Mark is doing with the sandwich effect. One commentator makes a statement, the woman exemplifies and defines faith for Jairus, which means to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. Trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. Both situations looked hopeless. Without the intervention of Jesus, the inevitable would happen. They would both suffer and die. It took faith to see beyond the inevitable, beyond the immediate beyond the crisis to what was possible because of Jesus. For with God, nothing is impossible. Jesus will declare this truth in chapter 10. He will say, for all things are possible with God. And that's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here's the thing, though. This is not a story about a miraculous healing and health. No, this is a story about Jesus' power over death, his power to resurrect. His power to resurrect. Mark wants us to imitate the faith of the woman as we trust Jesus to give us resurrection life. Remember where the readers of Mark were from. They were in Rome under persecution and all kinds of bad and terrible things happening to them. And Mark wants them to realize that this isn't it. There's resurrection life. Don't fear, just believe. In the face of sickness and persecution and loneliness and despair and death and loss, Jesus brings resurrection power. Do you want hope of resurrection life? Do you want salvation? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want peace? You don't have to pray and beg for salvation. You simply put your faith in him and he will immediately save you. You don't have to be sinless. Simply look to Jesus and he will forgive you. You don't have to be clean. Simply reach out to him and he will cleanse you. You don't have to be essential. Simply come to Jesus and he will call you daughter and son. You don't have to be religious. Simply put your trust in Jesus and he will make you whole. You don't have to be fearless. Come to Jesus in your trembling and fear and he will give you peace and confidence. You don't have to be above reproach. Simply take your shame to Jesus and he will restore your dignity. But you gotta respond in faith. The only response Jesus is looking for is the response of faith. Repent and believe. This has been the message from the beginning of Mark, and it goes all the way through it. Repent and believe. The woman repented and she believed. She repented 
Repent means to change one's mind. For 12 years, she had tried everything she could. She gave all her money and all her times in hopes of a cure. Her disease only grew worse. Somewhere along the line, she repented. She changed her mind. She decided that she was done with the doctors and done with seeking cures and done with everything else, and she went to Jesus. She believed that Jesus could heal her, and she was not disappointed. It's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith that matters. In whom or in what are you putting your faith? So the example of the woman is this. Do not fear, only have faith. Jesus wanted Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, to have faith like this woman. How ironic. Faith that says no matter how bleak or impossible it looks, I'm going to trust that Jesus can and will overcome. I think it's ironic that, that Jairus is the one that's supposed to get this message because Mark does not record Jesus saying to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. It says he records that Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear, only believe. Jesus was addressing a man of faith. The ruler of a synagogue which was a spiritual leader. He was the shepherd of a group of people. He should have known. So Mark's point is this. Your position, your influence, your religiosity, your status, your health doesn't matter. What matters is faith. The roles are reversed for the ruler of the synagogue should have been the one with the great faith. But an irony, Mark demonstrates that the nameless, forgotten, shamed, lonely, unclean woman is the true example of faith. This means that any of us who have faith in Jesus will not be turned away. So the lesson is don't be afraid, believe. As with the little girl, Jesus may not prevent us from dying. We may still get sick and die. In fact, death actually comes to all of us. All of us. It is a result of living in a fallen and broken world. But the hope is that we have is that Jesus has power over death. He will resurrect those who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. Even though Jesus seemed to get sidetracked from his original mission, even though it seemed like it was too late, even though the inevitable was staring them all in the face, even though the crisis was insurmountable, even though Jairus' daughter had died, even though things looked hopeless and grief and weeping was setting in, even though nothing happened immediately, even though it looked like failure and death all around. Jesus had everything under control. Every event had purpose. Every event was a blessing. Every detail was important. Jesus, think about this. Jesus had time to minister to Jairus, to his daughter, to the disciples, to the nameless woman, and to the crowds, and to us thousands of years later by this act. He's got it. He's got it. God's presence in the person of Jesus is all we need in life and death. For in Jesus, we have resurrection life. He will make it all right in the end. He will make all things new. We have hope in a perfect future with Jesus as our king in the eternal kingdom of God. This is our hope. So don't fear, just believe. Let's pray. Father, wow, this story is so appropriate. We just pray that you would take the truths from this story and sink them deep into our hearts. Maybe look to Jesus, who's a power and authority. His forgiveness, his grace, his love, his compassion is unfathomable. It's beyond measure. 
and it's all ours just by faith. We thank you that we have a hope of a future in, in your kingdom. It's part of your family where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more grief, no more sorrow, all of its joy and peace because we're in your presence. And we're in your presence because you resurrect us from the dead. We have that hope. We have that hope. Help us to live in that hope and share that hope with those we come in contact with. There's so many people that desperately need that hope. So God, use us. And thank you for this time that we could be together. So good to be together. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that we would have been able to, to be here, look at this particular passage on this particular day. We just trust that you will take this and use it to change us as we go from here. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. God, please continue to keep them healthy and safe. Give them wisdom and discernment and understanding. Pray that they would be compassionate and kind and loving to those they come in contact with. May they, may they share Jesus with those they meet. May we be your church. May we be your hands and feet to those that are out there. And God, just, just protect us as we go from here. We look to you as our king and our shepherd and our father. Thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand for this benediction? I haven't been able to say that for weeks. You wouldn't have listened to me anyway. You were all in your pajamas, I know. All right, receive this benediction from the, from the Apostle Paul. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Go in this confidence. Amen.